Ready? Hey guys, what's up? I'm Shema. And I'm Tiffany. And you're listening to Chai Tea Party. This is a podcast about the underdogs, the brave, the creative, and the slightly off in the Daisy community. talking to Sophia Kapoor about her project called I Am Not a Statistic. They provide education, sustainability, safe housing, and reduced inequality for girls that are living in the slums of India. Hey, Sophia. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. Welcome. Yeah, of course. Welcome, welcome. So um, a couple of things we wanted to touch on really quick is uh, I was looking at your website and I was pulling some stats from that. And it says a couple of things that I, I really didn't know that were true, that 60% of the girls that are in school actually drop out of school or don't complete school? Yeah, actually, because when families are very poor in India, as you guys know, the children need to work to support their families, so they're forced to drop out of school and they never get to receive an education that mm -hmm. they deserve. I, the other thing I was reading that was interesting is 50 million women and girls are missing from India's population due to gendercide, the tragic killing of newborn girls. And I think this is really talked about in like China, Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think I've ever really seen it highlighted when it comes to India before. Yeah, there's actually a documentary that I watched called... Girl Rising? No, I think, it was, I think it was called It's a Girl. Oh, okay. And it was talking about India and China specifically and mm -hmm. how the gap between males and females in India has risen so much based on the fact that the female babies have been either illegally aborted or killed when they're very young, which is just tragic, because now in India it's illegal to determine the sex of the baby before it's born because this issue has grown to be so large, but it's still done undercover. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know that um, Amir Khan had that show on some channel in India called something that I don't remember, but it was like he, he talked about all these issues that nobody was speaking about. Um, and it just was like for awareness. I don't think they were able actually, actually to actually able to actually do anything about it. But they, um, one of the things he talked about was he interviewed a bunch of women that have undergone um, abortions that weren't at their will. Mm -hmm. So there were like women that thought they were going in for a routine check checkup, and then they would put them under, and then they would abort the baby without the mother's knowing. Oh my god! Oh wow! And to one woman, it happened like three times, and her in-laws would keep taking her to the doctor and be like, oh no, we'll take you, it'll be fine, like, we're just gonna do this checkup, and then they find out it's a girl, and they'd be like, you know. Get rid of it. Yeah. So it was her in-laws that were the ones behind it? Yeah, and the interesting thing that, that he was saying was that these, in this case specifically, like, the in-laws, people think that this happens in, like, just poor areas, or, like, you know, um, not in, like, the bigger cities, but the, both the parents were, like, professors, they were, like, very educated, like, from a good, quote, good family, and this stuff was still happening. You know, so it's interesting that we, like, kind of 
put different class classes of people into um, these boxes and like say that you know it doesn't happen outside of this. Right, because that's just because it's more of a societal thing yeah. instead of based on class. Yeah, which is, and it's almost expected if the poor communities do it, but if someone that's very well known or is very educated and should know better, quote, you know, um, then it almost like it would put the spotlight on them. And right. Obviously, and that's not, not allowed either, about, so yeah. they can't talk about it. Right. And it's so easy for somebody to just, like, if a story was coming to light, to, like, slip them some money, and then the problem right. would kind of just go away. Mm-hmm. That whole concept blows my mind. Like, I, I don't know if... <coughs> I don't know if I'd be able to adapt to that kind of living. I think that it just, it's very scary to know, like, you can buy your way into, like, a college seat, like, which, I, and I guess is a good thing, like, in some aspects, but, like, you know, for for everything else, like, it's not a good thing that you can just, if you have money, your, your life could be that much easier because you could avoid all these things. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little bit scary. Um, so we'll get more into your nonprofit and kind of the work that you guys do. But tell us a little bit about yourself. How old are you? You're actually of a mixed background, so we want to hear a lot about that. Um, so yeah, tell us like how old you are, where you're from, things like that. Yeah, so I'm 16, and my dad is from India. He moved here when he was in his 20s, and he didn't know anyone. He came here with $8, and he met my mom, who's from California. Oh, nice. So I'm of mixed background, and I haven't really met a lot of other people who are also half Indian. So it's kind of an in-between place for me, mm-hmm. stuck in between two cultures, but I de- identify with both. Yeah? yeah? There isn't one that you kind of like lean. Is there ever a time where you're like, if you're in India or if you're like, hang out with one side of the family that you're like, this feels better? Or do you think it's very even? I think it really depends on who I'm around. Because yeah. if I'm around my Indian side of the family, then I'm completely engulfed in that lifestyle Mm -hmm. but then when I'm here just because here I'm around them less because I don't get to go to India all the time obviously but (laughs) it's easier to become more like the people that you're surrounded by if Mm -hmm. it's harder to have those ties but in my school I'm in the Indian American Student Association yeah (laughs) like we do the whole Indian dancing thing so I feel very connected to it here, too. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're like a chameleon, then. It's yeah. Like it, it, whatever group you're part does, of at that moment, you just adapt. That's <laughs> when cool. I'm with my mom's side of the family, it's... Well, obviously, because Indian culture is so rich and so strong, it's going to be different when you're surrounded by it and when you're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have your parents, um, like, taught you everything about your both sides of your culture and kind of yeah. given you options and, like, laid everything out for you? Yeah, it's cool because I don't really have... A religion because mm-hmm. religion's a big part of two different having two different cultures because my dad grew up um, I think he was I think he grew up Hindu but his mom was sick and oh, his okay. dad was Hindu oh so he's kind of mixed in that sense yeah. too yeah so he grew up Hindu and my mom grew up Christian so they didn't want me to have to pick one or the other so I was just exposed to both and then I don't have a religion myself personally, mm-hmm. but I like that I have Options. a knowledge about <laughs> different things now. It's yeah. more, like I've become more open-minded because of it. Yeah, that's like a, that's celebrating a good thing. Diwali and Christmas. Right. right. Heck yeah. That's awesome. That's very cool. Did you guys do anything for Diwali this year? Oh, we just went out to um, dinner with some family. Nice. Yeah. That's more than my family does. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's interesting, though, that you were saying that your dad. Um, 
or your grandparents also have different um, religions as well, which is also very taboo, especially in India. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, especially for that like, time. Right, exactly. That's mm-hmm. like you have to be not only a certain kind of religion, but the same sect of that. And, exactly. You know, so it's very interesting to... I mean, people still deal with that. Like, mm-hmm. I have friends that have had to break up because they're both Hindu, they're both from, you know, the same vicinity or, mm-hmm. like, the same country, but they're of different class. Mm-hmm. And that's still the thing, which is yeah. crazy to me. Right. But, I mean, you know, we're all learning at a different pace, but we're learning. Yeah, it's funny. My sister um, found someone who is half Gujarati and half Marathi, Mm -hmm. but the Gujarati side, like, their religion is, like, very, like, on point with ours. So before my parents even, like, really knew him very well, like, as her boyfriend, they were like, oh, well, we already like him, you know? (laughs) Like, it's hard to find that exact thing and someone that you already like. Like, that's very cool. And then they met him and obviously fell in love with him, but it was just so (laughs) interesting. So what part of India is your dad from? Is he from the north, east, west, south? Yeah. <laughs> south, east, north, west, central. Yeah. So my dad grew up in Delhi. Okay. And my family in India now lives in Gurgaon. Okay. So pretty close to Delhi still. Um, so when I go and visit, that's usually where we go. And we stay with my aunt and uncle at their house. Nice. When's the last time that you went? Last December. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. Have you gone to go like pretty often? or? I've only been four or five times. Okay. But some, the last two times that I were there were impacted by I'm not a statistic. And oh. That's okay. why we went back again in December. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Which is a perfect segue. So tell us about I'm not a statistic. Okay, so the summer that I turned 15, I went to India with my dad because I wanted to learn more about where he came from and more about that side of my culture because as much as I knew about it from going when I was younger and seeing family when they came to visit us in America, I felt like I was missing out on some part of my Indian side. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to see what it's like to live in India and see where he grew up. So we went for three weeks to India and I knew to expect to see poverty and I knew to expect kind of what I would see, but nothing could have prepared me for (laughs) walking out of the airport and just the chaos that you're engulfed in and you're all definitely the, like instantly hit by right it too, all the know. like sights and the sounds and the smells mm-hmm. and the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everything I mean sensory overload <laughs> yeah so as we were driving back to my uncle's house like to my dad and my uncle it was probably so normal to see all of this but to mm-hmm. me I was <laughs> kind of <laughs> freaking out inside I was like, seeing the good and the bad and the ugly of India all the beautiful colors and clothes and hearing the chaos I guess like I said it's a chaotic place flying into Delhi but and then also seeing the poverty was heartbreaking because from the minute we walked out of the airport you could see more poverty than I've ever seen in America Mm -hmm. it's at a different level where children are surrounding the car wearing tattered clothes and holding babies and begging for money just that they could have food. I didn't really know how to cope with that upon just being like dropped into that environment. Mm-hmm. So across the street from my uncle's house, there is a school that teaches the kids of migrant workers who are homeless. And otherwise, they would be alone during the day on the streets as their parents work. So when I was there, I spent some time at the school with the kids. Mm-hmm. And they 
it was so fun because that's so great. They just loved <laughs> having the attention of someone that cared about them. Yeah. And even though it wasn't a true school in the sense that a school is considered in America because they are lacking in so many materials and supplies, but they're learning and they're safe in there. And they were so grateful that I would spend time with them, which was just kind of a crazy concept for me where there were so many kids just overly excited to see a camera and see their picture taken, things that they'd never had the opportunity to have, but we here would take for granted. Right. And there were a few other things throughout my trip in India that made me feel like I want to do something about this poverty. I want to, I can't just sit back and live my life. I want to help these people because I felt like I couldn't go back to the way that I was living before and just forget about yeah. the issue. And you're coming home to like a, a warm house and loving family. Exactly. It's almost like you have that guilt even though you mm -hmm. didn't do anything wrong. You're not taking it from anyone. But right. when you see the other side of that, yeah, it's easy to you know, want to give back. And a lot of people feel that way. And it's so great that you actually are. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, some people find that it's hard to actually do it, actually follow mm -hmm. through with it, because we have these resources given to us. And then to try to give it to somebody else, we're like, okay, where do we start? But yeah. the fact that you, like, did your research and you're like, this is what I want to do and this is what how I'm going to do it. I mean, and you're 16 years old. <laughs> I know, that's so crazy. Impressive. It's so crazy. Well, what kind of scared me was seeing how easy it could have been to just think, oh, well, this is how it is. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure, as you guys know, in India, it seems like because it's such a massive issue, it seems like a lot of people are okay with just, oh, well, it's easy to look the other way. Right. Like, this is how it is. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we can't really do anything. Yeah. Yeah. That, the other thing was that's interesting is, like, not only are you guys taking off, so I know one of your kind of slogans is rescuing, rescuing the girls of India's slums. Mm -hmm. um, and I, there have been a lot of documentaries that have talked about this and articles that there are... Um, these kids that also get taken in from the slums that then are, uh, what is it called, like, um, it starts with an M, dang it, their, like, arm is cut, or, like, their eye, like, they have one eye missing, or something like that, and then they're asked they're to go begging. beg, right, and then they oh. have to bring that money back right. to, like, a, like in some a special guy. Like in some guy. No, oh. yeah, 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 kind of like yeah. in Some Dog Millionaire, where they have oh. that, mm -hmm. um, where they have... There was something else I was reading that was like the, um, a certain percentage of the children that are that are being held by the women or the kids that are you know asking for money are drug induced, so they like are mm -hmm. asleep, so they won't make noise and cry. Um, and these people just like you know give these kids drugs so that they'll stay quiet. Yeah. And then when you not only have you know when you first go to India and you're seeing these images or whatever the situation is you're getting that picture but then there's so much more behind it that's going on exactly. it's it's like scarier as you kind of dive more into this issue right I feel like that was a big part of it too because when I was there seeing all of the kids begging for money it's like I have the opportunity to help this person but it's not by giving them money because you don't know where that will go if right. you just hand them money that would just continue the system of the cycle of the 
I don't know what it would be called, but the person that's controlling the kids right. and injuring them and harming them, mm -hmm. getting money. So right, and it's just giving them positive reinforcement. Exactly, like, I can just keep like doing this, this is a good way of right. making mm -hmm. money, even right. though definitely not right. at all. Yeah, they're definitely taking advantage of people's emotions. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. That was the hard, my, my, when I had gone to India last time, that was really difficult for me was having these kids like pulling at my arm exactly mm -hmm. and it's and I don't know what their story is maybe they really are you know looking for money for their family or they're you know they're not just part of this whole you know crazy system but my aunt had given me like a bag of coins to take around and she's like you can give like a little bit here and there because she's like I get it I get how hard it is to see but yeah so tell us um what kind of from that thought that you said like you know you need to do something mm -hmm. How did the organization come to fruition from there? Okay, so when I was there, I bought different things like necklaces and jewelry and little trinkets from street markets. And I knew that I wanted to raise funds somehow. So that's why I bought a lot of those types of things. Oh, and then okay. when I came back, I sold them wholesale at a store in Birmingham called Something. Yes. Oh, I know something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then I used all the money from that to go towards my organization. Well, okay, so That's actually... That's so smart, I need to wow. I need to back up, because <laughs> I, I had to make the organization first <laughs> right. before I could have done That's that. That's the whole yeah. process of so, well. Yeah, when I first came back, I it was like reverse culture shock. Coming back here after being there, right. like back home felt foreign compared mm -hmm. to being in India. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was the first day after I came back, and I went grocery shopping with my mom. She was oh like, come gosh. on, don't, you can't fall asleep, you can't get jet lagged, you gotta go out. So then we're walking around, and then I just remember seeing just all of the produce and all of the things that people are taking for granted, just having this available to them. I started crying, oh. like in the grocery store. I probably looked crazy, but anyone yeah. who was at Meyer that day, <laughs> watch out, that was me. But because um, it was overwhelming seeing people compared to having so little, where they would, th I don't even know how they'd react if they could have seen that, to people just on their phones, in their own world, rushing through their life, mm -hmm. having so much. It, it was kind of a turning point, seeing, that made me feel like I need to do something. I can't not do something. Mm -hmm. So then I started thinking about what I wanted to do for it, what, I, what impact I wanted to make, and how I could start. And I kept coming back to the idea in my head of that although this issue is so massive, if I can just help one person, then I'll feel accomplished because I would have helped one life. Mm -hmm. And that the issue is overwhelming. So that's how I came up with the name, I'm not a statistic, because oftentimes poverty is regarded as this many people out of this many people will be living in slums, or this percent of people are in these conditions, that the individual person is forgotten, so it feels harder to make a difference. But with I'm not a statistic, I'm trying to prove that even if you can help one person, that life matters. And so... I'm like, I'm about to start I crying. I know, <laughs> I got chills. It's so beautiful. It makes me think, like, I'm 29, what am I doing with life? <laughs> It's but hey, it's better name. late than never, you know, because now I'm inspired to, you know, 
I mean, I've already looked at your website and everything, but now I just want to donate and I want to see how I can get involved in everything, <laughs> I mean, you know? Yeah. It doesn't matter how old you are. Hopefully this will strike a chord with a bunch of people. Right. And, like, mm-hmm. maybe if, you know, and I think that's one great thing about the show, too, is a lot of people have these ideas in their head and they don't know how to start, but if they see somebody like you coming in and, you know, we feel old and we're like, we can't do anything now, <laughs> but if you have this fire about you, and I think that people will be able to really hear it and relate to it and be inspired by it to, to make some changes of their own or do something that they've been, kind of been wanting to do for a while. Um, I love the name. I think it's so encompassing of so many different things. Uh, I think that's perfect. Very it makes sense. It's easy to remember. Like, I knew exactly what you were going for Like when I saw the website. I'm like, yeah, Thank you. Right. Awesome. Yeah, you definitely <laughs> don't have to like explain it to people. Mm-hmm. Did you come up with that? Yeah, I did. I like I came up with it, and then I told. I started telling people about it like the same day because I was like, oh, no nice. going back. I'm going to oh, stick with it. That's yeah. awesome. So has your family been a big part of creating the organization and helping you fill out paperwork and all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, they've been so supportive, my parents, because okay. so my parents have established LLCs before, so they knew the process of what it takes to incorporate something. Okay. So actually, originally, I started it as an LLC because I wasn't really sure what I was doing. Oh, uh, sure. And then right away, I was like, whoa, can't do that. It needs to be a nonprofit. <laughs> right. So then, then I had to like, retract that and then submit it, file it for a nonprofit. So, I mean, my parents have been really helpful, but in the beginning, that mm-hmm. was a little bit of confusion. Yeah. So <laughs> then I had to go through the state of Michigan and then the government and fill out the forms. Mm-hmm. And now we're a 501c3 nonprofit. Nice. And we have been for about a year now. So Very cool. So the ultimate goal of I'm Now Statistic is to actually build your first orphanage for girls in India. Um, where is this going to be located? Do you know yet? It's planning. We're planning on having it in Rajasthan. Oh, okay. But that's still subject to change as, until around December when we have it officially determined to how many girls it'll be housing oh, based okay. on how much I've raised okay. by the end of December. Was there a specific reason you picked that region? The, well, when I was in India, I spent some time in Rajasthan too. Mm-hmm. And I kind of fell in love with the area because mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Really nice. And yeah. it's kind of a contrast between these beautiful palaces being in these slum mm-hmm. areas. And I wanted to help people in there. But really anywhere where there's a need would be an honor to help kids there. For sure. So the cool thing is uh, you guys don't just provide housing, you're actually going to be providing a couple different things. So there's going to be education for the children that are actually attending the school there. Um, You'll actually have um, safe water for them to drink Mm -hmm. and safe housing. And you'll actually have uh, parents that are staying in the houses to look after the kids, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, what's really cool about how this will be set up, I'm working with an organization called Angel House, and once the orphanage is constructed and furnished, then it's completely self-sustained within the community. So then it's not like this outside organization coming in and messing with the flow of their life within the village Mm -hmm. or the town or wherever it's being built. Right. Because oftentimes organizations that come in as oh, here we are from America and we're going to help you, that ends up doing more harm than good because people are used to the way that they're living and they don't always want someone else coming in and telling them how they should be living even though the intentions are positive. Right. So Angel House works with NGOs, non-government organizations in India, and once it's constructed, then the girls will be able to attend the girls will be able to attend school 
and they'll have a safe place to live with house parents that live with them and make sure that everything is running smoothly with how the orphanage should be running because obviously there's room for a lot of corruption and mm -hmm. bad things could happen if there's a house with 50 girls in a poor location in India mm -hmm. or anywhere in the world really um, but what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know where I'm going with this. I know, I'm, I know. <laughs> I like, tried not to. This is just so I don't forget questions that I have okay. when I'm talking. <laughs> um, I got a lost one. <laughs> I actually don't remember the question that I had. I think it was just you expanding on, on what you guys are actually offering. Okay. Um, did you answer that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Angel House, really quick, is very cool. So the, um, I think that they have more open now, but mm -hmm. they've opened like 98 orphanages, which I think, well, I can't talk today, I can't. <laughs> it says Cologne. <laughs> oh, I can't spell either. I have like every... Slum, it says Cologne. I'm trying to figure out what Cologne could be. <laughs> I don't know. I was typing really fast. <laughs> the Clums. <laughs> um, so yeah, Angel House has I think this is this number is higher now but yeah, it's over a hundred right right a hundred orphanages which are still running um, which I think is the biggest part to be like not only did we open these but they're still yeah, functioning every single one is, is still running which is, date, which is amazing that's amazing that the community can come together and really be like yes we're into this and we'll volunteer our services for this right because oftentimes the community wants to make a difference but the overall or the initial construction of the building and furnishing it that's a big commitment for them mm -hmm. that that's really what this is going towards then the community themselves can lift up the most impoverished people that were really dealt the worst hand of cards in life the abandoned girls that are in slums because really that's like a triple right. <laughs> they were hit hard yeah, yeah. they were what is the process like? And I don't, I'm not sure if maybe you know this already, but what is the process going to be like for picking what kids get that opportunity? Because I can't imagine that's going to be easy. Wait, honestly, I'm not sure. That's going to be hard. That's something that Angel House does with their partners in India. So it's oh, actually the people in India that will go through that process. But Are they I the ones that also vet for the whoever's going to be the... Um, parental figures in the household? Yeah, because Angel House, they know, they have connections in India that they have people that go around and check each of the houses periodically to make sure that everything's oh. running to their standards, okay, too. So then they know, they use people that, those people that go around checking the houses know personally. Oh, okay. So then there's not, it's not just random people mm -hmm. that could have different interests than the good of the world. Right. That'll be living there. Have you heard of the Nanubai Education Foundation? No. So they're in Gujarat. Um, well, they're here, but they um, help Gujarat, and it's specifically like kids in Gujarat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, just providing them with um, school materials and teachers and getting them the education that they need. Um, and uh, they started here. I should probably figure out where. But um, there's liaisons here that continuously go to Gujarat and like they work directly with each other. And then they have um, charities out here and galas and fundraisers and all that stuff like throughout the year. And then it all goes to Gujarat. 
which is very cool, but it would be awesome to have that expand as well, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was just wondering if you... <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking um, of fundraising, so your, your ultimate goal is $45,000. Yes. Um, and I know that you said you have a goal of December of being at half of that amount. Mm -hmm. um, so where are you currently? Because now we're kind of approaching on November. How are you feeling about your fundraising and how's it been going? Yeah, I'm feeling good about it because right now I have $19,000 raised, nice. which I've been working on throughout the year. And the number of 45000 is for opening a home for 50 girls. Mm -hmm. And the cost of opening an orphanage for uh, 25 girls is actually $28,000. So I know, I feel confident that I could meet that goal. Mm -hmm. And I've already surpassed the number for opening a home for 12 girls. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, no matter what, something will be opened. Awesome. And it's just about the number of girls that will have the opportunity to be saved from a life of sex trafficking or child labor or a life in the slums. Absolutely. Um, and is this where your figure comes from? The $900 gives an orphan girl endless opportunities of education, a safe place to live, and all the essentials of a happy childhood. Does that sound familiar? Oh yeah, that's actually the cost per person, if you break it down from the $45,000 that goes into this, it would be $900 for their part of the construction costs, the their bed, their sheets and clothes and educational supplies. That would be a $900 donation that would cover their complete life, basically. Their oh, childhood okay. would be saved for $900. Wow, that's insane. You think about how much money we spend on ourselves. Yeah, I mean, we just got like five, six dollar coffees. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> so, so dumb of us. <laughs> no, um. but it changes the way that I've started thinking. When mm -hmm. uh, if I buy something, it's like, oh, that could have bought someone a bed, right. or that could have paid for someone's clothes, their first clean pair of shoes, or it changes how I'm seeing the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I bet. Oh, um, what kind of things have you done for fundraising? Yeah, like, so have you done events or anything like that? At my school's Indian American Student Association, we have a big dance for a fundraiser mm -hmm. every spring. And so last year, I was lucky enough to be one of the charities that was donated to. Very cool. So I received half of all of the proceeds raised from that event. And also, I've just been telling everyone I know about it. Like, if I meet someone, I'll say, oh, hey. Like, it'll, I'll just, like, make it come up. You guys change on you? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, guys. <laughs> no, but, like, when I was at Sweet Earth, and then I started talking to you about that, because mm -hmm. I saw that you have different charities that you donate to on that so there's different ways where it just comes up, mm -hmm. and so Sweet Earth donated. Have you tried talking to them? No, I haven't. <laughs> That's You're a good here. idea. Works well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but just like friends, family, the different events in the Indian community mm -hmm. have been really helpful, and now I have a club started at my school for fundraising. So oh, we've cool. done like cider and donut sales and things like oh, that. Very neat. That yeah. Is so neat. Cool. Um, it's, it's really awesome to see, like, and I know we keep saying this a lot, we may not seem that much older, but, like, to see somebody your age, like, have such a conviction about something and be so passionate about something. I mean, I remember, like, you walking in that day when I first met you and just being, like, you, I remember 
you've seen this whole process in your head kind of happen. Like you looked over at the board and you were like, "Hey, um, you guys donate to stuff," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And then it like just wow. kind of happened right from there. And I was like, "Dude, this girl is like real confident. I like it." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that that's important because that's how you're successful with anything that you do. I know that like even with us, it's like. Dumb as it sounds sometimes, like, hey, we have a podcast, you should listen to it. Yeah. But that's how you get people to kind of pay attention to what you're doing and make them care about something as well, you know? Right. Like, everyone you meet is an opportunity to tell them about something that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And word of mouth can go a really long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's still, like, the biggest form of, um, like, referrals, like, word of mouth referrals are still, like, the biggest way that businesses get it. Yeah. Um, you could have, like, a bomb website. Like, I work for a lawyer, and they spent so much money on advertising but when people walk in the door and they're like, I'm nervous, like, how is this guy? And if I, like, say how much I respect my boss, like, mm-hmm. they will believe me over any of the advertising that goes on, you know? And it yeah, just, yeah. like, it goes with everything, you know? Especially with somebody like you who's, like, the face of the organization. And, like, you're obviously, like, you're a very nice person. Like, you're somebody that, like, as soon as you meet, like, instantly, like. And I think that has a lot to do with it, too. Like, mm-hmm. when people are able to see someone in the front lines who is that way and very positive towards, you know, whatever their association is. Um, I think it, it does wonders for your your work as well. Mm, thank you. This is like kind of an open-ended question, but I w- as we were reading through this and looking at, you know, the information from your site, I was interested to see, like, you know, we have like boys and girls, right? We have those two categories for kids that are living in the slums, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering what it's like for children who are who consider themselves part of like the LGBTQ community, yeah. who are in these same situations that don't, are like, you know, their life, their livelihoods are already kind of, you know, up in the air where they're not in the best of situations. And then if they're also questioning all these things about their identity and their sexuality, like I wonder what it's like for kids like that. And I wonder if there's organizations out there that are in that specific niche. I don't know if there are though. Yeah, I've never heard anything. No, I haven't heard of anything about that. But that's an interesting point to bring up. Yeah. So be. You have to think like Rajasthan would be an interesting place to find that out because the art is so powerful Mm -hmm. there, and like they have an art school that looks really cool. Like yeah, it is a little bit smaller, Mm -hmm. but I mean, they say that um, like so many people apply to that school that it's hard to even get like, to cut people out and be like, nope, you can't, like, you have to come back next semester. Like, I love Rajasthan because of that, you know? Like, everyone's, like, really into the arts, and so that kind of plays into that. Like, you're already embracing the differences of the norms (laughs) there in India that I wonder what those statistics are. Yeah, and maybe, I don't know if this should be, like, off the record or anything, but you know in India how there's those, like, there's a whole group of people where, are they intersex or something, the hijran? I don't know what it's called. I've but never heard this term. Because every time I go, you see like these people that dress up a certain way and they like publicly embarrass people to ask for money. And like, no, when a baby is born and they, they have like both sex organs, then the this group of people like takes them. Oh, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom was kind of telling me really, about that. It's like it's not really talked about much. Right. But I, mean, I want to look this up. I don't. So interesting. I don't really understand what it is. Which mm-hmm. is why I wanted to ask you guys. No, I don't know okay. much about it at all. But I remember my mom saying it. But even the way she was saying it was very hush hush. Right. Like you know. it's like don't really talk about it. Right. But then, right. Like, and then I remember. Don't acknowledge it. We saw someone that was one of like a part of that or they were that I don't know how to talk about it even. <laughs> right right but like in public and I remember my uncle being like oh no like, let's go over here like mm-hmm. don't go near them to the right. point like it was I oh, didn't wow. understand you said they're called like intersex 
Yeah, or it was like hijra. I don't know how to spell it, but hmm. I don't know if I spelled that either. Either. Yeah. No, there's math showing up. <laughs> and a hookah lounge. I don't think this is right. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I'm gonna. I want to look into this. This yeah. is so interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. What do you want to do when you get older? Like college, what are the things that you have on your mind now as a 16 year old? Yeah, um... Long term, what would you like to do with your life? Now as a 16 year old, what do you see for yourself in the future? I want to do something that makes an impact on the world and helps people, but I'm also really interested in journalism and advertising. And journalism does make an impact on the world because how people view the world through the information they receive changes their opinions and their actions. So that's something I definitely want to pursue. You should check out, um, there's actually, this might be actually, I might keep this in the podcast because this is a good segue. You should check out um, this online publication called Brown Girl Magazine. Uh, they're big supporters of us and they do a lot of interesting things and they're on every social media facet that there is and they utilize them all very differently, which is super cool. So like at a, if you're on Twitter, like they have a Twitter and they have these Twitter talks sometimes where they use a hashtag and they ask people questions and they get people involved. The last one that they did was not not your average desi and it's like they ask questions and prompted them with that sort of theme. Mm -hmm. um, and they do like stuff about arts, about um, growing up as mixed, I think there's like a mixed uh, article on there as well. Um, they talk about Bollywood, they talk about life in the US, but it's specifically tailored to um, they see Americans. Oh, cool. And it's run, it's a nonprofit as well, um, and it's run by all these different women across the United States. So there's somebody really, they're really cool to check out. Um, yeah, I'll have to them. check that out. Mm -hmm. And it's all online, and you can find them everywhere, but their website is really cool, and there's like endless amounts of articles and stuff. Cool. And there's even a feature section that they have uh, for Brown Boy, which is very neat. So that was actually kind of a good segue. Yeah. <laughs> Not for the show or anything, but I think it's really interesting how people kind of have an idea of what makes someone Indian and then mm -hmm. that like at my school at least it correlates with how brown they are mm -hmm. where the like when you see someone there's this guy like not for the show but his name's and they're like oh he's not even brown he's he's like a white guy he's not even Indian <laughs> we've, we've had that it's, like, yeah. Yeah. it's like no he is Indian he's from India like mm -hmm. just because if he doesn't fit into your box of what an Indian person right. should mm -hmm. be like that doesn't make yeah. him not who he is mm -hmm. and I don't really understand. Where do you think that comes from? That whole I think it's idea. just the standards have been built in our head. You know, I think a lot of that stuff has been passed down from our parents. Not like it's a bad, like it's still like a terrible thing, but I think very unintentionally that that has happened. Uh, but you see it with how people live their lives, right? Like mm -hmm. Tiff and I didn't become doctors. We didn't be, we didn't go into bid like we didn't take a business route or finance. Like we. Mm -hmm. um, both have very similar creative paths in life, mm -hmm. and so whenever people, at least for me too, when people are like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I do X, Y, and Z. And they're like, that's weird that you're not a doctor. And I'm like, that's fine. Like, you didn't have to comment on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think you, do, you can see it by, like, what other Indian people are doing around you because it's very cookie cutter. Does that yeah. sound yeah. bad? But yeah. you know what I mean? Like, not that that's a bad thing. Right, either. but like when my Indian friends meet my dad, they're like, he's not even Indian, what are you talking about? He's not even strict or anything. Uh, like, that doesn't, uh, like, yeah, like, yeah. I don't, I don't really see where that comes from because just if he doesn't, if he's not a strict parent, then he's not Indian. Right. Like, well, think about even how like Indian people are portrayed in TV shows and movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, 
I think that also has a lot to do with how we're shaped mm -hmm. and what people think is real for us. You know, like not every Indian dude you meet is going to be like bad with women and really nerdy. And, right. Like, right. You know, it's like it trains us to think how we're supposed to act exactly. to be Indian mm -hmm. based on like pop culture, which is. And The Simpsons is one of the greatest shows of all time. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a reason it's been going on for 26 years, you know? The what Simpsons. Show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but all of us were young when it was going on and still very prevalent. And everyone just assumes that you have an Apu in your family, or your father is a Apu, or everyone has an accent, or, you know, it's or just so like a thing. Everyone in your family owns a 7 Eleven. Right, you know? And. <laughs> Yeah. Like, cool Indian people on TV, but also that's not us, and also it's played by Hank Azaria, who I also love, but <laughs> you couldn't have picked an Indian guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a, a friend of ours that was on the uh, on one of the episodes, and he does a lot of acting and comedy and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the issues that he faced, too, regarding like the entertainment industry is that he is very typecast, so like, they want... A very strong accent. They want, you know, a super, super Indian dude. Even saying this, like you know right, what exactly. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Which is like, there's the no like, there's no correct way to say it, but I mean, it's out there. Yeah, it's true. And so he kind of faces these issues too, where he can't get the roles that he wants because they put him into the box because of the way he looks. Yeah. And if you're not a quote fob, then you're whitewashed. Like there's no in between. You can't be both, even What's if that? you live in America. That? Fresh um, off the boat. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's that. good that you don't know that term, actually. Right. That's a good thing. <laughs> and someone could be living in America for, like, 20 years, but they came from India. Like, we will still label them as fobs just because it's an easier thing to say than, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I never really understood that either. I'm guilty of it. You know, I say it all the time. Like, oh, that person's a boater. Right. It's like, no. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're really not. Mm -hmm. And, like, like, even if they are, it's not a big deal. My parents are boaters, too. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And it's like I've seen the subtle discrimination through being around my dad in public. People will be like, oh, have you lived here a long time? And it's like, Ooh. yeah, Your a English long time. is so great. Right. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if you'd understand this, but... And and it's for a lot of um, like our parents and stuff. They've now been in the, this country longer than they've been in their exactly. home yes. country, exactly. yes. and this is their home. Like you know, it's it's weird to me that even um, my boyfriend is from India. He's been here for like five years, mm -hmm. but people will ask him, "Oh, when are you going back home?" He's like, <gasps> oh, yeah. "I live in Dearborn." Like <laughs> that is home. <laughs> That's I am home. home. <laughs> or he gets discriminated against because he is like he's been discriminated by Indian people who are. Uh, born here, but because he came from India, just like their parents did. Right, exactly. He, they make fun of him for that, and I'm like, that doesn't. How is that making any sense? I don't. Yeah, and then it makes me wonder, like, if I move to a different country, is that how I'd be treated if I don't speak the language well? Mm -hmm. Even though a lot of people who move here from India, obviously, they speak English just fine. But if I speak yeah. it with an accent, or if I don't fit in right away, like, right. what's the discrimination? Because. If you move somewhere, it shouldn't be like you're treated as foreign because you should be able At that to point, you already come, come into like the country as if you live there because you do live there. I was just listening to, um, you might actually really like this episode. I might send it to you. Okay. It's um, this American Life did an episode about like political parties and stuff, but they specifically interviewed a lot of people in um, Saint Cloud, Minnesota, and there's a big group of Republicans there that are not just pro-Trump, but they are. Um, uh, they have a big issue with the Syrian immigrants that are coming into St. Cloud because I guess mm. there's like a lot of people coming in. And um, they sell these lies like these guys are illegal immigrants, which a lot of them are not. They're actually, right. they're not here under amnesty or anything. They're here as like proper, 
yeah, they're here as like now citizens are uh, in the process of having like citizenship, but they came here legally, and um, they also said that mo most of these Muslim people, if they are too many gathering, that they're going to be under Sharia law. And the reporter's like, the Constitution exists. You can't just have. And the guy, the guy that she's interviewing, is laughing, and he's like, "You should read more. I can't believe you believe that." And she's just like, "I do read." Wow. But they oh talk God. about how. Um, these people like don't want them to build mosques, so they're coming into our community. And when I bought my house, I didn't sign up for this. And I can understand like you have the right to feel the way that you feel about something, but there's that line of like, there was one woman in this town who um, was speaking, um, maybe it was Arabic. I can't I can't quite remember, but she was speaking Arabic at an Applebee's with her family, mm -hmm. and a white woman and her husband started yelling at them and was like, speak English, speak English. Oh and I guess gosh. like when they were being escorted out, the woman threw her drink in the mo mother's face, the kids start crying, then she chucked her glass <gasps> at the woman and she was like all cut oh up and everything. Oh I was like crying God. listening yeah, to this. Because, you know, and then people are, t they're talking about this at a convention um, within the community and there are people on one side that are like, you know, they should have just been speaking English. And then oh there's the other gosh. side saying like, they should have just walked away, like there's not, they're not plotting something. They're, they're having a conversation comfortably with their family. You know, this shouldn't yeah, be something. Yeah. That makes me scared. That makes me scared for the m people that I care about that maybe English isn't their first language or they feel more comfortable speaking, like, whatever uh, language is considered their first language. But it's okay. scary to see what, what could happen. I heard about a family flying back home from Disney, and they were on the plane, and they were speaking Arabic, and they were asked to leave the plane just because they were speaking their native language. And also it's Disney, insane. don't they have um, Epcot Center where they embrace uh, all the cultures all right? and, and everything? Yeah. <laughs> so and it's the happiest fucking place on earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's happening? <about> <laughs> <that>? <laughs> um, yeah, one of my coworkers was telling me that um, he, like one of his really good friends is um, Spanish. Um, and I, I think he is from Spain, and then she's from Mexico, so, you know, both of them have Spanish culture in them. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want their kids to learn Spanish, because they dealt with so much when they moved to America, like, knowing another language, even though it's Spanish, which is a very common language. And they're like, we only want to teach them English, like, we don't want them to be, like, discriminated against just because they can speak another language. Wow. And so they barely even speak it at home, like, to each other they will, but to the kids, they're like, just try to be as white American as you can. Kind That's of thing. terrible. And it's so sad. That people need to just conform to right. for their safety. Right. Like yeah, that. exactly. And they're right. also young parents, you know. They're, like, in their 30s, like, not mm -hmm. even 40 yet. So their kids are also very young. And I don't think the kids fully understand, like, oh, why aren't we also speaking Spanish? You know, I don't think they understand that. But the fact that you have to stop that because you could have a hate crime against you, you know, that's yeah. so sad. Like, it's, it's scary to think that what's going what's gonna to happen because even if, like, in terms of, like, the election, like, even if Trump isn't voted in the presidency, that hate doesn't go away mm -hmm. with, exactly. with the election being over. That's what's scary is, like, what is going to happen, you know, if well, Hillary becomes president, are people going to retaliate? And like, it's not like it's just Trump, because as it's getting, as the gap between them is getting closer and closer, that means that almost half of our country supports Trump. Right. Like, it's not like it's just one person. Right. It's well, by the time we release this episode, we'll already know who the person is. Oh my gosh, so that's crazy. I'm going to edit some of this right. out. I might, I like this conversation. I think yeah, I might no. even include it as like a bonus feature. Oh, yeah. Like a few days later or something. Yeah. Because it's off topic. Right, yeah. We'll see. Fair. It's, 
Oh, you it's guys get to vote. Scary. That's so cool. I wish I got to yeah. vote. Oh my god. Yeah. There was something that um, I think it was like when initially when the elections were happening, like when he, when Trump wasn't the nominee yet, there was something that um, they had like a a debate or something just amongst the Republican candidates. I think it was like um, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan. He uh, when they had asked about immigration. I guess he was in first place, and then they talked about this just on the episode, so you'll you'll hear that. But uh, if you listen to it, but he, I guess, doesn't he doesn't have as strict of a policy on immigration as the other candidates did, and he went from first place to last just because of that debate. Wow! That shows you like how strong like these people are feeling about immigration, Mm -hmm. and they don't have all the facts. They have like even in the. Even in Trump's case, where like you know anything that he says, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. He's putting it out publicly, and it's a lot harder to disprove that stuff. Even though you're saying like this is wrong, this is wrong. Here are the facts. They're not going to see it. They've heard it from his mouth once. Mm-hmm. They're going to take it and run with it mm-hmm. as fact. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but I just no, like no. I'm really. No, it's okay. <laughs> but like if <laughs> Trump was a refugee, if he was born into a different life, then he wouldn't have those same beliefs. Like, no, if he of just not. thought how about how other people felt and thought about it from a different perspective other than his billionaire, like, cocky, mm-hmm. whatever he is. <laughs> like, Troll of a yeah, person. Like, it's hard to call him a person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> isn't so, let's wife? edit that part out. <laughs> isn't his wife an immigrant? Yeah, yeah. oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I want to see her birth certificate. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. This conversation took a turn. <laughs> So this is the part of the episode where we like to play a little this or that type game, which we brilliantly named this or that. We gotta keep on striving. We gotta keep on smiling, smiling. We gotta keep on striving. We gotta keep on smiling, smiling. Keep on smiling, keep on smiling. We on the phone now, we gotta keep driving. Keep on smiling. So it's just five questions, rapid fire, this or that. Um, we'll give you two options, like coffee or tea, and then you just have to say the first one that comes to your mind, whether you actually think that's the answer or not. Can't justify it, can't go back on it, just answer as quickly as you can. Okay. We'll just go back and forth asking you five questions. Yeah. Okay, I'm excited. <laughs> Let's go. And the Bali or Christmas? Christmas. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I would have probably picked those. Yes. <laughs> Phone call or text? What? Phone call or text? Phone call. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Um, a big party or a small gathering? A small gathering. Amusement park or beach? Amusement park. Iced tea or hot tea? Hot tea. Nice. nice. <laughs> those are like all the same answers I feel like I would have given as Actually, well. I think I would have said beach instead of amusement park. But <laughs> I don't know That's why. That's a hard I was, one. I was like wrapped up in Because when I'm at it. the beach, I'm like the happiest person in the world. But when I'm at an amusement park, I'm the happiest person in the world. So <laughs> yeah, I no, I like. actually, I think I'm definitely more beach than amusement <laughs> park. But like initially, it was like, whoa, amusement park. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> You don't realize sometimes what you're going to say. Yeah. Right? yeah. You're like, oh, I guess I that's like, how that's I feel. True. What yeah. am I saying? Right. Yeah. There's that one episode where I was like, wait, oh, okay, I guess I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that is how I feel. Right? Yeah. There's that episode, you, you might not know this, but there's an episode on Friends where Ross is like, okay, here's a quick game. Oh, yes. <laughs> And he does like a rapid fire. He's like, coffee or donuts? He's like, donuts. Tea or 
This is I don't remember. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he makes him, like, pick an answer, and he's like, oh, that is how I feel. And then Joey's like, Monica, Rachel. And he's like, dude. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, the history with Rachel. (laughs) Also, Monica's (laughs) like, Greatest show. We gotta keep on striving, smiling, smiling. We gotta keep on striving. We gotta keep on smiling, smiling. Keep on smiling, keep on smiling. We on the phone now. We gotta keep driving. Keep on smiling, keep on smiling. Our world is better now. We gotta keep striving. So. Inspired by our last episode where we did like a, we did a TMI episode where we just kind of like talked to girl talk and stuff. I actually listened to it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh gosh, it's a little bit raunchy. I apologize. It's okay. <laughs> um, we did like just a series of questions and one thing that we actually really like and we want to start incorporating is um, two things that you like about yourself. So um, a physical attribute as well as a non-physical attribute. Okay. Well, I like that I feel like I can talk to kind of anyone that I meet, just a random person. I, I feel like of my friends, I'm the one that they say, oh, can you go ask this person this? <laughs> like, can you go <laughs> like, put our name down for the table? And I like that I feel, I like that I feel like I can talk to anyone, even if they're older than me. Talking to adults, I feel like that's always come easy to me. Good. And I, I take pride in that because that's how you can meet new people out in the real world. Like, you guys, like, I, I never would have met you if I yeah. didn't talk to you. I know. But, and then... Uh, you definitely, like, radiate that confidence, too, like, upon meeting you. I think that you just have this, like, very, like, cool and chill air about yourself because you're, like, you know, very confident with that. And I think that's cool. And you're right, like, networking is, like, the biggest thing. Um, how you meet people, that's, like, how you get people on the show and things like that, too. I mean... Connections are everything. I mean, we want to like hone in on that. Or having people come into a cause that you care about too is really big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, a physical attribute as well. Mm-hmm. I like my eyes. Nice. I don't know. I feel like that's kind you of. You do have really nice eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But because I feel like it's kind of a mix between like typical Indian eyes. Okay, I don't. Maybe we no, I out. totally I know what you mean. Yeah, like, I get that a lot. People shape. say like your eyes look Indian, but then they don't at the same time. Because then yeah. the, I feel like that's how people kind of describe me too. Right. It's like you kind of look <laughs> Indian, but then you don't. So I don't know. I actually thought that too. Like I was like you because you have the almond shape eyes, mm-hmm. but then your eye color is like a hazily light. This is weird that I looked at <laughs> your like eyes, but like you know, really in depth on my eyes. <laughs> But they're really pretty. Yeah, I love that. We love asking people that question because it's cool to hear what people like about themselves. Yeah. And if people don't always think about it either, like it makes them feel better about themselves. Like, I do like that part of myself and I don't know why I'm not talking about it. Yeah. It kind of makes everyone feel um, just better about themselves. Yeah. It's always nice to like take a second to be like, what do I like about myself? (laughs) So where can people find more information about your organization? Where can people donate to the cause? Yeah, so I have a website. It's IamNotAStatistic.us, and I made it myself. Check it out. You made it yourself? Yeah, I did. It's really good. Yeah, Thank it you. is. Yeah. Very impressive. That. <laughs> yeah, so on there, there's a donate page where you can donate through PayPal, and there's also more information and some blog posts I've written. They're from a while ago, but they're still on there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's where you can contribute if you want to and learn more about what I'm doing. Cool. Are you on any social media as yeah, far as? Yeah, Instagram. Cool. It's, yeah, it's I am not a statistic on Instagram. Okay. 
Facebook? Are you guys on Facebook? And yeah, Facebook. It's just I'm not a statistic. Perfect. <laughs> Easy to remember. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it thank was, you for having me. Of on the course, show. of this course. Was awesome. It was so good to talk to you and like pick your brain on all this stuff. And um, you can find all the links to the descriptions of everything that was mentioned in the description of the podcast, as well as on our Instagram, on our Facebook, on our Twitter, just so you can follow us too. <laughs> Shameless plug. Yeah. We are very excited to have our first official sponsor. We would like to introduce U.S. Hindu Matrimony. Now, they are having an event this November called Date a Desi, and it'll actually be passed by the time that this episode is released. Go to ushindumatrimony.com. U.S. Hindu Matrimony is a Detroit-based service that caters to the matchmaking needs of the thriving Indian American youth. Combining traditional family values with the modern approach, this organization provides a personalized and well-curated marriage experience. They provide a unique platform that allows all Indian American youth to meet and mingle. Find your perfect match based on the aspirations and interests with a few simple clicks. So join the U.S. Hindu Matrimony family today and begin the first chapter of your happily ever after. Today's music was brought to you by Sami Malakur. You can find more of her work on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, SoundCloud, and YouTube as Sami Malakur. And you can also go to her website, simimalakgore.com. We will have all of that information posted on the description of this episode. As always, a big thanks to Joseph Aquino for the post-production on this episode. Hi, Joe. We love you. Thank you, Joe. So if you like chai lattes, puffy vests, and mixed Indian girls, share this with someone you like or don't like. Someone who values education. Someone who needs that extra push to start their own project. Or someone who has some extra cash to donate. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Cheers. Bichade abhi to hum bas gal Yeah. Um, oh, oh my god, was I recording this whole time? No! Oh. <laughs>